So if you're new to Radius, uh, we have seven campuses, and that is the, today is the official start for Radius Pillion. They're pretty jacked up. So yay. Uh, we love that. We love, we, we got seven different churches in different parts of the Midlands, and they all reflect their community, and that's exactly kind of what we were hoping for. So 10 times a year we do this. We call it an All Radius Sunday. So all the other campuses are hearing the same sermon the same way, it kind of holds us all together, the seven campuses, and it, it gives the other campuses, it gives them a different voice, it gives them, I'm the old man voice for most of their campuses, and it, it also gives them a, a little rhythm. We have a little different rhythm here, uh, other folks will speak here that give me a, a minute to catch my breath, and we like that. We like hearing from a variety of folks, feel like it's really healthy for the body. So uh, we, we'll do this again in about a month. We do it about every five or six weeks. And it's, it's been really good. Here's what we do. We keep reminding ourselves. A big part of my job on Already Sunday is remind us of our mission. We're trying to stay true to the mission that we feel like God's given us here at Radius. It starts, you'll read it on the way out the door. You'll be sick of me saying it. If this is your first Sunday, don't worry. I'm going to say it over and over and over. But Radius Church exists to glorify God. If anybody, if you've been here two Sundays, you probably know I'm going to pause after glorify God because we don't want to miss that. Matter of fact, it scares me to death that someday we would be about something other than God's glory, that somehow we'd get too excited about our R in the circle out on the sign and forget that this really is his church and we are about his glory. We celebrate that at Advent. It's one of, our, one of the times we bring all seven churches together. We met down at Amphitheater. I don't know how much longer they're going to have room for us, but it was packed. And the beauty of it is we just really focused on Jesus in the fact that God the Father sent his only son to become a man, and we, we just celebrated his name for, for a full hour all together. We love that time of year. We do that all together. We do that on Sunday. You have the chance to worship this morning. We want to glorify God. But then we kind of give descriptives. Here's some ways we like to actively glorify God. Number one, making disciples. We want to make disciples. That may be a new term to you, but really just means followers. And what we're not looking for is followers of us. We're looking to teach people how to follow Jesus because that's the end game. That's what he asked us to do. If you were here uh, about 10 days ago, we had a training for how do you make a disciple. It was terrific. We had over 300 people show up. We're, we're praying that it, over the course of this year that we'll make 500 disciples, followers of Jesus. That means like that could be somebody who hasn't met Jesus yet and believes for the first time and we get to see them be baptized here, or that could be somebody who's known him for a while, just hadn't followed him well, and needs to take some steps. If you came that night, there were, they walked you through multiple tools you can use. We got an app that you can use to kind of lead somebody who doesn't know Jesus toward Jesus, and we got a little red book, we call it, that if they're brand new and a newer believer, kind of just gives them the basis of Christianity. So that's, that's discipleship, make disciples. And then on your way out, you'll see plant churches, and that's Pillion. That's what we do, right? So... Last year, we planted Radius Carolina, which I actually get to be at tonight. Really young crowd, average age, probably 25, so I fit right in, you know, but like, I, I get to go down there and speak to them. I got to change my language just a little bit. I try to get my sons to give me a little extra slang so I can bring something to them, but it's really fun. And now Pillion, which will be one of our more rural campuses, super excited to have them out there. We got another one in our pocket that we look forward to launching in 2024. I can't tell you what it is yet, but it's coming. Like, we, we want to keep planting churches. We feel like that's what God has asked us to do. And then last, live, live generously. So again, if you're new here, 
the last month of the year, we pool our money into one fund. We call it uh, Give Hope. And we kind of stack our cash so that over the next 12 months, we can give it to folks that are truly in need in our community. We've got a variety of partners that we partner with to get that money to folks who are truly in need. Today, I get to give you the number, right? So uh, last week, I gave you the Lexington number. This is the whole of Radius number. And again, to encourage you guys, you make up half of this number. Uh, here's the number, 380,657. How about that? That's amazing. Yeah. That's 720 donors. Um, and by the way, a lot of kids put a dollar in. I love it. Their first time, that's why I love reading to the dollar, put a dollar in. And over the course of the year, when we tell a story, and we try to do that once a month, tell a story about being able to give to folks in need in our community, um, you celebrate a little bit because you help make that happen. Let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump into this new series. Lord, we, we need you to move on us. We need you to break through to us. You know us, Lord. You know we. Um, some of us been flying around this week, and we just need to rest. It's been difficult to find our rest in you, so meet us even as we sit here together. Or if some folks in the room just need to hear about you and just your name and the truths about you will awaken something inside of them that they've never experienced, please move on them. Take my words, Lord, for what they're worth. I pray that you would speak, that you would speak through your word and pray you'd speak whether you use my words or not, that we'd walk away from here saying we, we met with you this morning. We pray in your great name, Jesus, amen. So we start a new series today. We're calling it, as the folks at Radius Pillion said, let's go. And we're going to do that over and over. You're going to get so sick of me saying let's go. Every time somebody on TV says, you're going to say, that's the series at our church. We're going to say it over and over because it really represents what's happening in this one book in the Bible. It's called Acts. We... Uh, we like here at Radius to start a book and work all the way through it. It's going to take us a while to work through Acts. It's a long book. We like doing that. We feel like it, uh, it's a great way for us to learn the Bible. It has authority that we can't have on our own. And so most Sundays, it's kind of what we do. We read some verses and talk about them, read some verses and talk about them. This particular book is going to keep pointing us back to the previous series. So we just took two Sundays, and we, said, we called it Pause, and we all wrestled with the idea of rest, and so you kind of got to pause in order to go. You got to be rested in order to go, and we went through the Bible to define that. We went to Genesis where everything was created, and God Almighty worked for six days creating the universe. By the way, he didn't get tired, right, because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. It didn't take any work, but he worked for, for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. We put together some uh, hand signals for the Ten Commandments. I will not do that again. I've already done it twice. It seems like it'd be a little overkill, even though they're really funny. We did some hand signals to remind us of the Ten Commandments, and we reminded in Exodus when the law was given, rest was actually worked into the law. The first four were about loving God, and the last six were about loving your neighbor. And we really kind of came to the conclusion, number four, to keep the Sabbath holy was Sabbath means rest, means that like if you rest in God, if you rest in your love for God, then you'll have energy to love your neighbors. So the rest 
leads to work. Really, both of those are holy. I know for some of y'all, work doesn't sound too holy. But just keep in mind, like, he rests one day and works six. That doesn't sound like a 40-hour work week, right? Like that's, that's the reality of a really wealthy nation. But God worked six and rests one as, as did the law provide for. And as we work our way into the book, uh, into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we saw Jesus talk about rest. He said that he was the rest, that he would provide rest, that ultimate rest is actually in a relationship with Jesus. Many of us in the room know that that is true. We can't wait till we get to be with him completely and wholly in eternity where we completely experience that rest. But our life changed when we believed in Jesus and there was this level of rest and peace that came when we believed. Man, we're thankful for it. And now we open up this book called Acts. These folks, you're going to see them. It's the early church. You're going to see them they, on Sabbath day, Saturday, the whole nation, right? Particularly in, in this case in Jerusalem, the whole place shuts down, still shuts down today. All the shops closed. And you can't shop in Jerusalem on, on the Sabbath. But in this time, you talk about shutdown. It's shut down. And so the folks that were following Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection, their lives shut down on Saturday. They didn't do anything. They were quiet. That was their rhythm of rest. And on Sunday, they worshiped together. As a matter of fact, they went to work, got together in the evening. It was Sunday evening, if you read Acts, and they worshiped together. It became their rhythm. Their rhythm was this weekly Sunday rhythm. We point back to it. That's why we're here today on Sunday. Probably be more accurate if we met tonight. But it was the first day of the week. They wanted the first day of the week to be committed to Jesus and put their rest in Jesus and go forward. They're also remembering what? The resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So let me just ask you this. We got lots of work to do. We're going to go through the books of Acts. I'm going to say let's go every Sunday. Have you applied the last two Sundays? Right? Did you make any goals or ideas when you left last Sunday? So I, I did. I wanted to stop texting while I'm driving in town. That's one of them. I have a little list, but that's one of them. That was way harder than I thought. Anybody else? Like I was halfway through two texts, and I was like, oh, crud. I said I wasn't going to text and drive. I'm trying to maximize. Anybody else do this? Like you're trying to maximize your time, so you actually wait till you get to the car to do it. Don't tell the kids this. Like I'm sorry for being a bad example, but I, I, I've gotten in the habit of when I get in the car of trying to get some more stuff done. And so like halfway through, I stop, set my phone down. At the end of the week, I, I text three times while I was driving. That, that was my week. And every time, I'm like, oh, crud, I completely forgot. But it was good. It's probably 50 times I told myself no. And throw, I kind of throw my phone when I'm aggravated like that in my car, throw it up in there, and it bangs around. It was just this good moment to go, I can wait. I'm only driving two miles. I can wait two miles to send this text. I actually pulled over and text one time. I'm like, this, I always made fun of people who do that. Like, what are y'all doing? Y'all can't. Anyway, but like there's, there's this like discipline. Is that from the Lord? No. Is it from the law? Yes. But like I, I, uh, I it was just good for me. I've also been working on this weekly rhythm. And uh, this daily rhythm, and then this rhythm with our stuff. Cheryl and I are working on this rhythm with our stuff. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's what I thought. Y'all were crying and stuff last week. Y'all ain't done jack. We're like, how about no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Like, eventually, if we are going to go, we got to spend enough time resting. You're going to feel it in Acts. You can't go unless you've rested. Like, the Holy Spirit's got to take over and drive you. So you can't go unless you rest. And I'm not talking about, listen, for some of y'all, 
Boomers in the room, you're so worried that the millennials are listening to something like, they're going to take another day off, <laughs> right? Like, they don't need to take another day off. And I, I'm with you. Like, so I get, I mean, millennials, no offense, because y'all called boomers boomers. And, like, everybody makes fun of each other for a variety of reasons. But this, this is, uh, I mean, this isn't about not working. This is about resting. At the bottom line is, do you truly rest in Jesus? And I think the concern that the older folks have is that we've started equating rest with indulgence. And we actually think we're resting when we're scrolling or pounding too much food or alcohol or whatever. And, and in reality, we're, we're just distracted. We're not resting. So the, the truth is, I mean, this sounds a little odd, but maybe we ought to pick up a second job so they won't be distracted all the time. Like maybe if we work six days a week, maybe we wouldn't have so much time for some of the stuff that's killing our soul. But we still need to rest. Like, like the scripture from the beginning to the end has this idea of rest, and it's thick. And in the Gospels, it really lands Jesus as the ultimate rest, which I would think would include some rhythm daily, weekly, where you could find rest. So let me encourage you again. It's Sunday number two. We talked about last week. If you skip last week, let's start again this week. You can go back and listen to it and work out some rest. We talked, if you weren't here last week, about revolting, rebelling against culture that says I have to go faster and do more, but going the other way. So Acts is going to be this book where we work out of our rest, and if I could capitalize R, that would be rest in Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read a verse, we'll talk about it. We'll read a couple verses, we'll talk about it. In my first book, I told Theophilus about everything Jesus, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Verse number one, Acts chapter one. So, who's the I? In my first book, I told you. Who's the I? Anybody know in this room? No, not Paul. Luke. Do I hear Luke? Luke over here. Luke wrote Acts, Okay. Luke, Luke uh, is the writer of Acts. Anybody know what Luke's profession was? He's a doctor, a physician, not like a doctorate, but a physician, an actual. So he's an intelligent guy, intelligent guy. He's well-educated. He has some attention to detail. You'll feel that as you go through. He's pretty observant of what all is going. He's a careful writer. But he's also, what's, what's interesting is ethnically, he's not Jewish. He's the only writer in the New Testament that's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. I always thought that was really cool that he gets us if you're not Jewish. If you don't have a Hebrew background, he really gets the Jewish world. Paul would work toward it, and God used him to work toward the rest of the world. But Luke, like he is, if you're a Gentile, if you're non-Jew, then Luke, Luke is us. Uh, he says that this is my first book. He says in my first book, so we assume this is his second book, which means it is a sequel. Right? What's your favorite sequel? Anybody got a favorite sequel? Movie sequel? Anybody willing to put it out there? What you got? Top Gun. I thought like everybody loves some top, some Tom Cruise and some Top Gun. I, the second one was amazing. I was I was riveted. Anybody else? Another another. Die Hard. Die Hard. All right. Christmas movie. That's right. Christmas movie. That's right. But I saw one over here. Rocky. Rocky. All right. And back there. Hunger Games, all right, all right, look great. All right, so top five all time, number five, Lord of the Rings. This is by Rotten Tomatoes or whatever that, that site is. Uh, Lord of the Rings, number five, Terminator 2. That's number four. 
I ain't seen any of those, right? Like uh, number three, Toy Story 3. I'm like, okay, I hadn't seen that, but I hear it was good. Number two, I cannot believe nobody said this, Star Wars. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. I ain't seen that either. Some of y'all think I'm weird. Some of y'all think I'm cool. All right, so like <laughs> number one all time, anybody? Godfather Part 2. Like it's a landslide. Right? I ain't seen it. But there it is. This is the greatest sequel of all time, the book of Acts. Like, I, Second Corinthians ain't got nothing on this. If you want to just go by all those other Bible doubles, like this, this one, because of the uniqueness of the book of Acts, because of the way it connects the walk and life of Jesus and Luke to the epistles or the, the letters from Paul later in the New Testament, it's, it's this amazing book. We call it Acts. If you, if you got an older Bible up at the top, it'll say Acts of the Apostles. It's actually about two apostles. Peter and Paul, it mentions James and John. They get like a half a verse each. So I'm not sure why they said a pie. It is plural. Peter and John, it's just two of them. It's not all of them. It is an amazing book that connects the whole of the Bible. So when you read this, Luke's writing it, and he's, he's capturing the life of particularly these two apostles and also the early church. And he's writing it to a guy named Theo or Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Theophilus, uh, there's there's two kind of ideas on who Theophilus is. One of them is he's a friend of Luke, and he's a skeptic. So he doesn't believe in Jesus. And so Luke is putting together the first book about basically the life and times of Jesus Christ from the beginning to his death, burial, and resurrection. And now he's putting together the second book, which would capture the beginning of the church, arguing for Theophilus to believe. It has a little bit of an apologetic rhythm to it. If you're, if you're familiar with apologetics, he uses a lot of legal language. If you knew the Greek, he uses these legal words as if he's trying to defend his case. It's pretty cool when you think about Theophilus being that guy because we all have a friend that's that guy. Maybe you are that guy and you're here with a friend. And they want to convince you that Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God. The second view, which I think is equally as cool, is that... that uh, Theophilus is the financier. He's, he's the money. He actually made it possible for Luke to take time out of his schedule to compile these two books and probably a team. If you read Luke and Acts, it's well written. It's well articulated. It took a bunch of time, and he had to have talked to a ton of people to pull together all of his facts. So there's the other view that Theophilus is, is the money behind it, that he made this happen. You talk about cool. Some of you guys are super generous. And we're thankful for the things we get to do here at Radius because of your generosity. And some of y'all are generous to other organizations or people that are serving the Lord. Well, you imagine being this dude. He's, he's helping Luke write down what Jesus did and what the early church did, having no idea it would be a part of something we'd read today. Pretty cool if you think about generosity and folks with resources and your ability to, to share them. So he says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Read the book of Luke if you want to. You'll get it all in a nutshell. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So you got this 40-day period of time. I don't know if you knew this. But Jesus died. We, we celebrated death every Sunday with communion. He was buried. At Easter, we celebrate his resurrection. We meet it on Sunday because of the resurrection. 
And then for 40 days, he walked around on this earth. And he met with the disciples after the resurrection. Had to have been crazy, right? Like, he's walking around, meeting with the disciples. And, and this actually tells us why he did it. I always, I knew that he was around 40 days. I never noticed this in this particular passage. He says that he walked around for 40 days. And it says, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. You ever had something happen 24 hours ago, and, and, and you wake up the next morning, and you're like, did that really happen? Now, don't tell me why you couldn't remember, but like, like could you, something happen yesterday? Like, did that, that had to have been a dream, and then, then later that day, there's some evidence that comes up that that actually happened? Well, that's kind of the idea here. Jesus rose from the dead. That didn't actually happen every day. And the disciples, maybe their first encounter, they were still asking questions. So for 40 days, the Bible says that he walked the earth and he proved them in many ways. That word, that Greek word for prove is only listed one time in the whole of the Bible. And and in this book, you're going to hear testimonials about folks that saw Jesus or experienced Jesus. But this is even heavier than that. It actually kind of gives you the idea that you could touch and see and feel Jesus. You could hold his hand and you could... In a minute, we'll see that they ate with him. Check out, check out verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, which I love, like, like he rose from the dead, and now he's eating grits and eggs. Like, like there's this physical interaction that he's still God. He's still human. He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that was promised. We'll get to the gift in a minute, as, I, as you were told before. John baptized with water. I love that again. Very physical. What kind of water did John baptize with? It was, it was real H2O. It's probably dirty, but it was real H2O. He baptized people in the dirty Jordan River and other places. And so you got all this physical activity where Luke told about in the gospel of Luke, this physical activity of Jesus walking earth. There's miracles in there, but there's all these physical miracles where people would be healed. It had to do with the body and with our flesh. And so he, in this little quick uh, moment where he's describing what's going on uh, from Luke to now. He's capturing some of the physicality of Jesus' time here on earth. That's why we celebrate Christmas, to talk about Jesus becoming man. But then he says this. He has that little line about a gift that you're about to receive. Verse 5, John baptized you with water, H2O, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be this shift. And you kind of need to catch that as we go into the book of Luke, and we're going to do it over and over. Like, I mean, book of Acts. The book of Luke was about the physical Jesus, the God-man, all God, all man. He lived, we're not exactly sure how long, right? Remember we said somewhere between 32 and 40 years on this earth, and then he died, was buried, rose again, walked around for 40 days after he was resurrected. That was the physical Jesus. We believe Jesus is still a man even though he sits on the right hand of God, right? Physical Jesus. New Testament, moving to now Acts. What's Acts about? About me and you? Kind of. It's about the Holy Spirit. The whole book of Acts is about God again. The gospel's about God. Acts is about God. Acts about the Holy Spirit. And how does he get his work done? Through me and you. Like you're going to see over and over in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit used regular people to do crazy stuff. How can he use regular people? Jesus obviously was able to accomplish stuff as he walked this earth because he was perfect. If you're new to church or new to Radius, we're going to do communion at the end. We're going to celebrate the death of Jesus, and we're actually going to claim that it made us righteous. 
You're like, bro, you're my neighbor. I know better. I know what you do. You're not righteous. Well, you're right. Like, we don't get life perfectly. There's nobody in this room sinless outside of the fact that Jesus paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And so when we walk up and take it, we're celebrating the fact that he made us righteous, which enables us to house the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, actually, the Bible would say, indwells us. If you believe in Jesus, he indwells us. He can only indwell us because he made us righteous. And so now the book of Acts is about the church. But it's really about the Holy Spirit working through the church. It's really beautiful. Throughout the book, you're going to hear that name, Holy Spirit, over and over and over. It's in here 50-plus times. So you're going to hear about it. We're going to talk about him more articulately on other Sundays. But... uh, Man, it's crazy that the story continues with me and you after Jesus departed to the right hand of the Father. Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? So Jesus rose from the dead. He's walking around. He's resurrected from the grave. What did the apostles say? Who are you going to vote for? Jesus, who are you going to vote for? That's how you change the world politics. right? Like you got to get the right king in place. And Jesus got to be going, like, bro, did y'all not realize I just died, I'm rose again. Like, have y'all not figured this thing out? So he's patient. And here's what he says in verse 7. The Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So, yeah, I'm going to be the king, like truly the king at one point. And we could have an eschatology talk here. That's a big word about Jesus coming back. That's talk for another day, probably with somebody other than me, right, like that. He's coming back, and we're looking forward to him coming back. But he, Jesus says to the, these are the apostles. These are the big dogs. Like, that's not for you to know. Probably not for us to know either. And then he starts this verse 8, and that's really where we'll just finish our time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Stop worrying about politics. Start worrying about whether the Holy Spirit has come on you or not. Because if he does, you're going to have power. Isn't it crazy, this uh, little group of disciples that heard him here in just, just a couple chapters, that's what they're going to be known for, power. They're going to be known as they walk this earth for changing things, both physically and spiritually. And now we look back on this day, this transformed the world because the Holy Spirit came on them and they were filled with power. So... Like, we want to go, let's go, Radius, right, as we go through Acts, but we want to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is going to mean we have to rest in him and allow him to empower us. He says, if he does, you'll be my witnesses. I love that. Like, hopefully, in our neighborhoods, we name this church that, Radius, in our neighborhoods, you're a witness because the Holy Spirit has empowered you So you have this interaction with God himself, and so you're a witness to who he is. And so, like, that makes you want to take banana bread to the neighbors. In my case, the banana bread is really good because Cheryl bakes it, right? Like, I don't know what you take, but it makes you want to serve your neighbors. But it also makes your mouth open up. It's more than banana bread. You actually speak of Jesus. What he said, telling people about me everywhere. So eventually, like, it comes out of your mouth. You can't control yourself because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it flows out of you. There's, a, there's an old preacher. His name's Charles Spurgeon. Don't raise your hand if you heard him preach because that means you're, like, 200 years old. So, um, 
been dead for a long time, very famous. And he wrote this, and I thought it would just be good for us to hear. A couple lines caught my attention. I wanted you to hear him. He says this, if Jesus is precious to you, question mark, you will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. I, I love the fact that he says, your good news. I mean, it's become personal. It's yours. Obviously, he provides the good news. We worship him, not us. But it's your good news because you have it. You will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. What a great line for us parents in the room. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You can't restrain yourself. Not the law, not just what not to do and what to do, but the preciousness of Christ. You'll be telling your husband. You'll earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. I love that. You know, when you really want something, some of y'all don't talk real well, but when you really want something, all of a sudden, you doggone lawyer, like you can, you can put it into words because you want it. There's eloquence. And then I, this, this is my favorite line. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk about his sweet love because it's personal. It's yours. We named this radius because we wanted that to be true of our partners. And as you and I both know, it's a long walk with the Lord. And I've had seasons where my eyes flash and seasons where they don't. It's really good to be in community and have people remind me. It's always fun to see a new believer and their eyes are flashing with the joy of salvation. It reminds us. So you might not know much yet, but your faith, those of y'all that are new, thank you. We need you. We don't want to lose our way. And then this last line, it kind of captures the mission of the whole book of Acts. If you grew up in church, you've heard this many times. If you haven't, this will be new, and I hope that it helps you. He says, I want you to tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's he saying? So they lived in Jerusalem. Let everybody in your radius know. What's our radius? Lexington. That's us. 29072, right here. Let everybody in your radius know about Jesus. That's why we're willing to plant another church in the same zip code. Perhaps we'll plant a couple more. It's our, it's our responsibility to, to get after Lexington. But then he says, and in Judea, for us, Judea would be the Midlands. We feel responsible for the Midlands. So we're, there's a church out in Saluda now. There's one downtown Columbia, and we hope to plant many more in the Midlands. We want to take responsibility. We want people to hear about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. In Samaria, what's Samaria? In his day, Samaria was the other half of the former kingdom of Israel. So, so Samaria, long story, I can't, can't get it, but it's really the other side of the tracks. Like, you can be responsible for the people that look like you, but also be responsible for the people on the other side of the tracks. And for that matter, this news is so good, tell the whole world. If you, uh, if you give here at Radius Church, we send a bunch of funds to other nations so that they can take the good news to their place. And that's what we do. If you're new here, that's what we do. We want to multiply, and we want this church to be a multiplying church. Let me show you on a graph kind of what that looks like, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I got three circles we'll throw up on the board. It kind of looks like a MasterCard. I'm not sure how we picked our colors, but if you will, let that just represent churches in the United States. We'll just look at us, the United States. Um, that represents 300,000-plus churches in the United States, a lot. Average attendance of one of those churches is 76. 
So, like, sometimes I think you sit in this room and feel like this is kind of what it is. Average attendance is 76. If you're over 250 people attending, you're in the top 10% of churches in America. So that's size-wise. Size ain't everything, right? But that, that's just, just the way that is. Uh, that means that 8% of America is going to church 1.9 times a year. A mo- I mean a month, 1.9. 8%. And you're like, that's crazy. Some of y'all move down here from the Midwest, and you're going, that ain't that crazy. I, I, not where I'm from. Some of y'all moved here from Oregon, and you're like, that ain't crazy at all. I can't believe 8% go, right? And then you come down here, and you're like, there's a church on every corner down here. No wonder it's 8%. There must be like 50% in the South. Not exactly. It's more like 12 or 13% around here. 12 or 13%. In a lot of them churches you drive by, they're empty. They're empty. And just says to me and you, if this good news is so good and if this love from Jesus is so precious and if the Holy Spirit truly has power, we got a lot of work to do. So we, let's go, right? First circle, we'll just put a number one in it. That actually represents 80% of those 300,000 churches. They're in decline. A lot of us that grew up in church grew up in one of those churches. And we're not throwing rocks at it. For me, that was a really good experience. For you, maybe that wasn't. I learned the Bible. I learned stuff from community. People love me. But that church is, is really in the, my church is in the surviving mode. It adds some. It loses some. It basically kind of stays the same. Many of those churches are in decline. We've been, the beneficiary, Radius has, we've been given two buildings by churches in decline. They decided to trust it with us, the one at White Knoll and the one at Southside. And we've been able to put them all the way back into play. Let, let's, again, we're not throwing rocks because remember, those churches were planted just like we were. They produce fruit for a lifetime like we are presently working on, and then they're in the process of dying. One day, this church will die. We, don't, we're not, <laughs> we hope that that's not soon, but one day it'll die. That's kind of just how the cycle goes. The problem is in the United States is that 80% of the churches are declining or just surviving. We go to that second circle. We put a three in there, third group of people. They're the churches that are adding. They're growing by addition. Folks are coming. People are coming. A lot of times these churches have a great preacher. You'll hear about their preacher. He'll be the name that you hear in the community, the great, great preachers in the addition churches. You're hearing them on the radio, on podcasts. They, they uh, attract a lot of people, and they're growing, and we're thankful for them, right? Like, we're really thankful for all of these churches as long as they're following Jesus. But that, those groups are growing rapidly, and you hear about them regularly, and uh, they're doing a great job. But we really want to be in this last category, which we would call multiplying churches. That middle category, addition, guess how many churches? 16%. 80 and 16% of the United States either declining or adding. We really at Radius, our dream is to be a multiplying church based on this book of Acts. When we say let's go, that's what we're dreaming. Guess what the percentage is of multiplying? Don't do South Carolina math because I'm going to surprise you a little bit. It's actually 0%. There aren't any churches in the United States of America that are multiplying. When we had David Kaye here from South Sudan, they're multiplying, right? Like if he's got a tree, they got a church. He he talks about if there's a shade tree, we got a church because they train leaders that fast, and those leaders lead those churches, and those leaders don't get paid. They're on it because the Holy Spirit's empowering them, and they're overwhelmed with the goodness of God, and they're just spreading it, and and they're always asking us to learn more because they don't know much yet. We're helping them build 10 buildings over there. We're a part of that from a financial standpoint, and 500 tree churches gather at the building on occasion, and and they have education there for their leaders. It's beautiful. 
They're multiplying. We're not. We're not. We would love, though, to stay in the reproducing, which is 4% of the churches in America are, are taking what they have and trying to reproduce it in the same community or surrounding communities or other parts of the country. That's kind of where we are. That's why Pillion start today. And Carolina started last year. And we got one in our pocket for a little bit later this year, which we can't wait to tell you. And we hope to just keep plotting. It would be cool if we got to the point where we were so empowered that that stuff was happening super fast and almost a little out of our control. And we wouldn't care that our name was on it. Right? So first circle. If you grew up in a first circle church, you'll remember this. I remember this. Kind of the saying that you have is, please stay. You're always afraid somebody's going to leave. You're never going to cancel the last Sunday of the year because you're afraid people won't leave. Please stay. It's kind of a scarcity thinking. All of us have had that with our finances with other stuff. So, like, that just is what it is. Second group of people, what are they saying? Please come. Right, so they're constantly inviting, and the church grows rapidly. Our church is growing pretty rapidly. It looks like we need to set some more chairs out, right, because you guys are inviting. We love that. That's part of what we do. At Centerville's blowing up because they're inviting people, and we're trying to figure out where we're going to put all because people are saying, please come. But, man, when we're at our healthiest, we're saying, please go. So, so what we really want this to be is a time of rest, of meeting with Jesus, reminding ourselves of the gospel, and leaving the doors and saying, let's go. One to our neighbors, representing Jesus in our neighborhoods, but then eventually I'll come up here. I've done it five times. I'm going to say, would you please go to you fill in the blank? This young leader is going to, you fill in the blank. And you'll have to sit there and ask the Lord, should we go? My family or myself, should we go? And many of you will stay, and we need some folks to stay because it doesn't work if everybody goes at one time. But the idea is to have kind of that attitude of going. That's why if you're new here, everybody clapped about a church in Pillion because some folks from here went. They went because of the call, and we got a young leader that came up and is, is on the go. So... And when you read the book of Acts, I want you to hear that over and over. We thought about entitling it, please go, but that just seemed a little weak. Please go. Like, we don't want to, like, that's not like that. It's like, let's go. Let's go. We got work to do. The last little thing I want to throw on here just to remind you of the temptation is two sets of arrows that I thought was terrific when I saw the guy present this at a, at a thing called Exponential. We go, we go to it occasionally. The arrow's coming from the please stay side or the church is in decline. It's like this deep desire to start adding people again. And so you probably live with this. We just got to get the right preacher. If we got the right preacher, we'll grow. Or we got to get the right worship folks. If we get the right music, we'll grow. Or we got to paint the building again. Like if we painted these walls green, surely people would come, right? Like it, it kind of gets crazy like that. And the next thing you know, you're trying to fix it. In all the physical ways, there's this, this lack of dependence on the Holy Spirit. And on the flip side, when you're on the, when you're on the multiplying side and you start giving stuff away, and some of you guys have been here at Radius for a long time, you start like, man, it hurts every time you give something away. And there's this temptation to go back to the middle where there's addition. And we want to say something like, man, we got the right pastor. Uh, let's just invite people. Let's don't send anymore. Let's just invite people. Like, like uh, if you like me, thank you. I'll give you a hug afterward. We'd be glad to hang out. Like, thank you. And we've got other great young pastors preaching at other campuses. We just never want it to be about the guy. The day it becomes about who communicates, 
is the day we stop sending because you always got to hear the one guy communicate. So we, we want to consistently push against that so that people will go. You'll see on our stage a variety of young guys come up and speak, and man, nothing excites us more than the future with those guys. We're developing more worship folks. You guys are making disciples, which gives more folks the ability to go. Eventually, this room will get full. We'll go somewhere, hopefully soon. Maybe Corley Mill. That sounds like another good spot in Lexington. We just don't know. That's who we are. We're trying to be like the folks in Acts, which starts with us individually, with this yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. So just let me ask you the simple question, and we'll quit. Is the Holy Spirit working through you? Right? For some of you, you've been converted to Christianity, so you got the right words, and you know where to be, and conversion is all you know. But the Holy Spirit's really never taken over your life. For some of us, we gave way to the Holy Spirit, and he produced great fruit out of us, and we've been doing this for a long time. Now we're a little addicted to working for God. We don't rest anymore. I mean, rest in Jesus. And so our work is like this grind. We've lost our way a bit. So it's just a good day to check. Check it. It's a good day to check it and so that we could honestly say, let's go. We set out bread and juice every Sunday. Last Sunday, it struck me that to hurry through that meal with Jesus is just jacked up. Right, like to take 10 more minutes and sing a couple songs and slow down our souls and meet with Jesus as a group. We only do this once a week. Gets us really ready to go. So take your time. Take the bread and juice. Remember what he did. If you had a terrible week and you crashed and burned some ways, tell him you're sorry on the way up or on the way back to take it. If you had a great week, celebrate the fact that he made you righteous and the Holy Spirit's worked through you. That's why he invites us to come sit and eat with him. So we got to slow down to sit and eat. Let's do it now. Jesus, we worship you. We are thankful to be a part of your plan for this world. So help us, Lord. You know us. We're fragile. We want to uh, get over our fragility and have some energy to go. Even now, Lord, as we uh, try to focus our minds on your death and your burial and your resurrection, uh, meet us in these moments. As we sing these songs and look at words on the screen and sing them from our mouth, Lord, we really want them to connect with our heart. So guide us to that point. Lord, give us favor. We want our neighbors to believe. We want the surrounding communities to have light from new churches coming in and um, telling the gospel again in a relevant way. So give us energy for that and confidence and persistence to that end. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.